All right, good morning. Welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. Greetings if you're watching from home. If this is your first time here or you're joining us online for the first time, my name's Mark Mullery, and it's my joy to bring the message this morning and to be on staff as one of the on-staff elders here. And uh, before we uh, hear the, this morning's passage of Scripture, i got a couple things. First, doesn't the auditorium in the lobby look amazing? Yeah. So that's Bonnie Hinders and a whole crew of other people. So thank you to all of you who helped out with that. Second, as Anna Claire just mentioned, uh, last Sunday's message on generosity. If you didn't hear that, I want to encourage you to uh, uh, get a chance to listen to that sometime this week. And just I want to say thank you. One of the things we encourage you to was an opportunity to help out uh, a congregation called Mercy of Christ uh, Church up in Washington, D.C. And I know 11 people, I understand, have responded from our church to help support what's going on for their Christmas outreach. So thank you for that. And, um, and just, a, just a, a friendly reminder, if uh, you weren't here last year or aren't aware of it, last year during the month of December, we had a significant drop in giving. And so just wanted to uh, r- remind or make you aware of that and thank you in advance for generous end-of-the-year support for our church here. Now, this morning, as Justin uh, mentioned as we started the service and the call to worship, we're in an Advent series. So we'll come back to Galatians in uh, January, but it's called Advent uh, in, in Isaiah. And so why are we doing this? I want to make sure that we understand and sort of orient uh, you to why do this series. So two reasons. First is it's Christmas season, right? And you know that because the Christmas music started before Halloween in the stores and the decorations were in all that. So this is actually one of the times of year when our culture really helps us as disciples because the Christmas season is a time people take time off from work. They get together with family and friends. They give gifts to one another. And we want to make the most of this unique season in our uh, year to slow down and ponder God's greatest gift. The word Advent means arrival. And the gift that we're remembering is the arrival of Jesus Christ at what we call Christmas, which is a little over 2,000 years ago. We also want to remember, as we've already heard this morning, that we live in between two arrivals, two advents. Hebrews 9, 28, <clears throat> excuse me, is a great verse to orient us to where we are in this season. Hebrews 9, 28 says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, there's advent number one, right? That's what he did in his first arrival. He will appear, advent number two, a second time. What's he going to do when he comes back? Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Church, may this series and this season stir up eager waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus, of King Jesus. So two reasons to do this series. One is it's, it's the right time of year. It's the season. But second, this is Advent in Isaiah. Um, we've been preaching through the year 2023 almost exclusively in the New Testament But we love the Old Testament. God has given us 66 books uh, to to read and hear his voice in. And so we want to recognize that that, uh, that Isaiah and, and the prophets in general are a wonderful gift from God. We need the prophets. The prophets stir our imaginations. You know, we like to kind of try to fit God into our lives. But the prophets remind us that isn't how it works. 
God is so awesome and vast. We don't fit him into our lives. We, we need to fit into his kingdom and, and follow him as a great king. And Isaiah especially gives us so many promises of the coming of God's kingdom and the coming of the great king, Jesus. So these four, first four Sundays in December, we will have messages each morning from Isaiah. And then Christmas Eve is actually on a Sunday uh, this well. So Christmas Eve evening, we'll have a fifth service and we'll be looking at Isaiah 9, the wonderful counselor and mighty God passage there. This morning, though, we're in Isaiah chapter 11, the first 11 verses, and Elam is going to read the scripture for us. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his, dan- his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Let's pray. Oh God, these are not empty words that we have just heard. These are living words. These words are your voice to us. Give us ears to hear. Stir our imaginations to see King Jesus and his eternal kingdom, to eagerly wait for him, to lift him up as a banner, a flag to one another and to our world, we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a big question. What does our world need most? What does our world need most? If you were to Go out in the street to interview, you know, those kind of man or woman on the street interviews. And you were to ask that question, like, what kinds of things do you think people would say? What does our world need most? People might say things like, well, we need to stop war. We need, we need peace. Or the climate. We've got to get the climate under control. Or crime is just 
We've got to get crime under control. We've got to stop human trafficking. I'm sure there are many different things that people might come up with to, to begin to address the massive problems of the world. I remember the song from when I was growing up, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. So peace, love, these are all nice thoughts, but who's actually going to pull this off? Based on opinion polls, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in the institutions in Washington, D.C. currently that they're going to make a lot of progress in solving the problems of the world. So who can fix this mess? It seems like often the best case scenario is sort of damage control and limiting the problems rather than solving the problems and eliminating them altogether. The Bible actually offers a solution to the problems of the world. The Bible gives us a clear answer to the question, what does the world need most? But you probably won't believe me when I tell you what the answer is. You know what the answer is? You know what the Bible says we need most of all? A king. Now hold your applause. We need a king. And you're thinking... Hey, we live in a country that fought a war to get rid of kings so we could have a democracy, right? And I get that. But imagination's required here. Imagine with me a king who is powerful enough to do anything needed to put the world right, a king who is good enough to use that power to actually put the world right, and a king who is wise enough to know what's needed in order to put the world right. Imagine a king who was that powerful and good and wise. If we could live under the rule of a king like that, we would be truly safe and protected and free to flourish. So where can we find a king like that? That is the king who comes into view in Isaiah 11, 1 to 11. That is King Jesus. What our world needs most is a perfect king. Here's the main point. Here's what I hope you can take away with you from this passage of Scripture. What our world needs most, what you need most, what your neighbors need most, what we need most is a perfect king, and Jesus Christ is that king. So let's unpack this passage and see how Jesus comes into view as a king, a righteous king, a restoring king, and a renewing king. <clears throat> look back at verse, we're going to look at the first five verses, this righteous king coming into view here. It says in verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me try to paint the picture for you about what's, what's happening here. Try to take yourself back to the year 720 B.C., 2,740 or so years ago. The nation of Israel, God's people, has been split into two nations. You've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Judah has a king from the line of David. His name is Ahaz. He is a rotten king. He is so wicked that he murders his own sons by offering them as sacrifices to pagan gods. 
The nation is in decline. Their territory is shrinking. There is a superpower. It's not China or the United States. No, it's this power named Assyria. And they are gobbling up whole nations at a time. And now Assyria is sniffing around like a hungry lion. So who can fix this problem? Well, the prophet Isaiah is addressing these problems both directly to Ahaz and to the people of God as God is giving him visions and and prophetic words for the nation. And here in chapter 11, in these, these 11 verses of chapter 11, we get a picture of a new Eden, a paradise, and we get a picture of a king and his kingdom and in these 11 verses, the future is just compressed so that we get everything from Christmas, which has happened 2,000 years ago, to where we live right now, to the end of time, which we don't even know when that is. That's all squished into these 11 verses. So you're going to need your imaginations because the prophets are also poets and they speak in word pictures. And so the first thing we hear about here is a stump. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, if you were to go back and read the end of chapter 10, you'd find not just one stump, but a whole bunch of stumps. What happens in the end of chapter 10 is Isaiah prophesies that this great power of Assyria, they're not going to last long. God is going to come like a woodsman with his axe and he's going to chop this nation down. Their arrogant pride is going to be reduced to a field of stumps. If you can picture what that might look like, here's, here's a picture of what, what he's trying to get us to see in the end of chapter 10. Everything is cut down. Is, uh, a, a serious arrogance has been destroyed by, by God. But it's, those aren't the only stumps. Now we turn to Judah, and there is a stump there as well, the stump of Jesse. So what he's saying in that is that even the line of kings coming from King David, it's going to look like it's over. It's been cut down as if a stump by an axe. Is there life left anywhere? Well, look back in, in verse 1. There comes forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse is the father of David, who became the, 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 the one God promised this lineage of kings to. And so what Isaiah is saying is that at some point in the future, it's going to look like the line of kings through David has come to an end, but it won't be the end. There will still be life there. God is keeping this promise that he made back in 1 Samuel chapter 7 to David, that on his throne, there would always be a king, and one day there would be a forever king. And so that stump is going to sprout. And this actually happens. This is where my forestry degree comes into play, being a pastor. So mom and dad, you didn't waste your money. Guess what I get to do right now? Here's a redwood tree. See the stump in the middle? It was cut down. But those three trees grew from the roots. Those are shoots that came out of the stump. And that's what Isaiah is telling us is going to happen with the nation and with this kingdom. And so when will this happen? When will this shoot come forth from the stump? Well, now we're going to move forward to Advent number one. Do you know how Matthew begins his story, his gospel about Jesus? Here are the very first words of the gospel of Matthew. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. There he is, the shoot. The line isn't dead. The story isn't over. But you know, 
We need a king who's more than just from the line of David, don't we? Ahaz was from the line of David. He was a terrible king. We need a king. If a king is going to rule the whole world, if a king is going to solve the world's problems, that perfect king needs to be equipped with divine power. And that's what comes into view here in verse 2. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of... Now, hear what what comes with, with this equipping of the spirit. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This king that's coming into view here in Isaiah 11 is like no other king in history. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Nothing is hidden from him. Just think about that. How often in the last week have you found yourself not sure what to do next, not really knowing what's going on, or wishing you could do something that you didn't have the power to do? We live with those limitations all the time, don't we? This king has none of those limitations. None. And we can be thankful that we're not like him. Imagine how bad it would be if you or I were all powerful. We would use our power badly. But this king is anointed with the fear of the Lord. So he is always good. And you know who this king is? Again, to go back to the Gospel of Matthew... When Matthew records Jesus' baptism, listen carefully to what he tells us. It says, when Jesus was baptized, Matthew three sixteen, immediately he went up from the water, so he's been immersed, comes out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Who does that sound like? Oh, back to Isaiah 11. The Spirit of the Lord shall what? Rest on him. Can you see how King Jesus comes to fulfill the promise of a righteous king? His rule and reign are in righteousness. He expresses his power and rule righteously. That's what it says He'll not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He's not going to be limited by what people tell him, which might be lies or not having, being able to see all the information. He's going to know everything all the time. And he will, with, judge, with righteousness, judge the poor. That means rule over, watch over. And he'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. When Jesus returns, he will set things to right for the poor. We are to work in his kingdom for the good of the poor and the meek and the marginalized now. But one day he will come and set everything right. Justice will be done and will be seen to be done. And he, on that day, the day of the Lord, Jesus will destroy the wicked, not with bombs or tanks, but simply by his words. The rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. That's the poetic way of saying the same way the earth was created by words from God. The wicked will be judged and destroyed by words from the Son of God. When he comes to judge the living and the dead, the wicked will be banished to eternity in hell by the word of his mouth. He's the king who comes to set all things right. He's a righteous king. And in 
And in expressing that righteousness, he's going to restore all things. That's the second thing we see in this passage. He's the restoring king. Look at verse 6. In fact, maybe don't look at verse 6. Let me just read it for you and just let the words wash over your imaginations. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Can you see it? Leopards and little goats taking naps together. Jersey cows and grizzly bears having alfalfa snacks in the same field next to each other. Can you picture dad dropping off his little one for a play date with rattlesnakes? And mom saying, that's a great idea. Have a good time, honey. This is so different from the way things are. Because the way things are is not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way things were in the paradise of Eden in the first creation. And it's not the way things will be in the greater paradise, in the greater Eden, that Christ has come to renew and to to restore. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. The holy mountain of the Lord, his sanctuary, his temple, shall fill the earth. Ponder this. What has hurt you? Who has hurt you? Who have you hurt? Can you imagine a place where all of that is healed, removed, gone? That's what's coming. Christ has come as a restoring And every square inch of our planet will be reclaimed by King Jesus and made completely new. We know we're not there yet. Oh, but we need to know it's coming. Hear Revelation 21. Then I saw, can you picture, can you see? Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
Can you see it? How is this possible? How could this come about? I already told you one thing. I said you probably wouldn't believe. Now I'm going to tell you a second. Do you know how, how this will come about? Here, here's a shocker. How will this new creation come about to be ruled by this righteous king? Here's how. Before the righteous king kills the wicked, something completely unexpected happens. The wicked kill the righteous king. That's what happens. Why? Why would anyone kill Jesus? Times haven't really changed. I want you to imagine what would happen in our country today if Jesus came back in the same way he came the first time and he began in his prophetic way to preach and promote the kingdom of God and the fear of the Lord. What would happen if Jesus came back today and began to call out the greed of Silicon Valley or the arrogance of Washington, D.C. or the glorification of sex and violence emanating out of Hollywood or the killing of innocent and unborn children, which is legal in Virginia and Maryland and Washington, D.C., to name a few, or to bring it home to every person here, including me, the dethroning of God by every rebellious human who has chosen to live life on their own terms rather than submitting to King Jesus. What would happen if he came and preached that message? How long would he last? Not long, I venture to guess. And so King Jesus, the righteous king, empowered by the Spirit, ends up crucified on a cross the tree is cut down once more. All we have is a stump. What happened? Saturday after Good Friday, dark, dead, and lifeless. But hear this. The shoot of Jesse can't be stopped. And on the third day, he rises. And when he rises, he rises to become a great tree that will never be cut down again. He rises never to die again. He rises in a glorified, deathless body. And the new creation begins in that moment. The new creation. We're not there yet, are we? But it's begun. And every time... A human being is born again to the living hope under King Jesus' rule. You become part of that new creation. And that spirit that lives in you is testifying to you right now that Jesus is, in fact, the king and that he is, in fact, coming and that all this isn't a fairy tale. It will happen. And this great king, I want you to think about This great king dying on a cross, what does it tell us about this king? It tells us that this king 
with unlimited power, uses his power not to take and take and take, as we so often see happens to people with great power. No, this king uses his power to become a sacrifice, to give and give and give himself as a sacrifice to satisfy God's righteous judgment so that the unrighteous, like us, can be reconciled to a righteous and holy God. And I tell you, that's a king I want to follow. That's a kingdom I want to be a part of. And that's the image of a king that I want to try to begin to resemble as I live by his power with his spirit living in me. He's a restoring king. And that leads to the last two verses. He's a rescuing king. You know, a king isn't much of a king if he doesn't have any subjects, right? So how do people come into King Jesus' kingdom? Well, even though Jesus is empowered with divine might, all-powerful. He doesn't send out an army to make people, force people to come into his kingdom against their will. No, people come into his kingdom because they want to be with him. He is the reason people come into his kingdom. Listen to what it says in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, Shall the nations inquire? The root of Jesse. So now we see something new about Jesus. He's the shoot of Jesse coming after Jesse, but he's also the root of Jesse. He's divine. He's eternal. He was there before Jesse existed. This great king, he will be the signal for the peoples. This word signal is the word for a, a signal flag, a banner, like you might picture a, an army with their, their banner out in battle. Or if you've been to that iconic statue of the six Marines raising the flag on Iwo Jima, you can see that over in, in Arlington. All eyes are on the flag, rally round the flag. But here the signal, the flag, this banner, it's a person. It's King Jesus. We rally around King Jesus. We are drawn to King Jesus. This is what he promised in John 12 when he says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The signal flag. The banner. Here is good news for all nations. For all people. And, and we live in a time when this is being fulfilled around the world today, people from all kinds of nations and tribes and tongues are coming into relationship, being rescued by this great King Jesus. Let me just tell you one story that I hope will encourage you this morning. We have some dear friends who for 30 or 40 years have lived amongst and loved a group of tribal Muslims in Malawi. They have laid their lives down for these people, to, uh, helping develop micro-businesses and, and, and farming and, and, and helping with better nutrition and, and health care and also lifting up the banner of Jesus. And our friend writes that in the last three months, he says, we've seen a breakthrough in several of our discipleship groups. God is answering years of your prayers and ours and is rewarding the faithful labor of our team. And these people, it's common for them to make a choice together to follow Jesus, very different culture, as God's Spirit convicts them and moves them, this is what's happening. Eighty or more people in these groups, anywhere from six people to more than 30 in different groups, have prayed together, making a commitment to repent, give their lives to God, and trust in and follow Jesus. 
The flag is being raised around the world. And we get to be part of that. And verse 11 reminds us, it's not just all the nations of the world that are on God's heart, but in a unique way, the Jewish people. This remnant will be recovered so that the end time assembly of this glorious new people of God and his great resting place, which will be the whole earth, will include Jews and Gentiles, males and females, slave and free, every nation, tribe, and tongue. Jesus Christ is the king we need. Jesus Christ is the perfect king. What do we do with this? How should we live? Let me offer three thoughts. First, most importantly, let us submit to King Jesus. Who needs a king? You know, if you read the story of the Bible, you'll find all the way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided they didn't need God to be their king. They didn't want to be under his rule and authority. And so they determined to become the sovereign rulers of their lives. And we've inherited that DNA. And every person on the planet starts out life with that working in their veins. And I would just ask you even this morning, who rules your life? Who's really in charge? Who has the right to tell you how to live? Who has the right to tell you what's right and what's wrong? Now, I understand if you've had a bad experience with authority and some have had terrible experiences with authority. I understand that if that's you, you may find it very difficult to trust people in authority, even Jesus. But I want to I want to urge you to consider this morning that Jesus isn't like any other person in authority. He's not coming to take and to take and to take. Jesus has come to give his life as a ransom for people like you. He uses his power for the glory of God and the good of people. The way into God's kingdom, how do you get into this kingdom? Not by trying to have your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It's by confessing your sins and trusting Christ. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can be reconciled to a righteous and holy and loving and powerful and good God. You'll never be good enough to earn your way into God's kingdom, but you don't have to. Bring him your wickedness. Bring him your sins. Bring him your unrighteousness and he will forgive you and welcome you into his kingdom and make you new. Won't you do that this morning? Won't you come under his loving authority? Let us submit to King Jesus. Second, brothers and sisters, let us lift up his banner. Thank you for the way you generously encourage and support our missionaries and supported workers. And I want to encourage you, especially during this holiday season, to just pray for them, reach out to them, send them a thank you card, an email, a note, make a, make a contribution if you want to. They'll be in the follow-up uh, to this uh, uh, message this morning and the Sunday follow-up, a link to Edward's Midweek Musing that has a list of all the supported workers that we have. And just let's, let's make this a season of really encouraging them as they're lifting up God's banner all over the world. And one in particular, Kim uh, Torres, will be uh, here with us on December 17th, 9 o'clock in room 102, giving an update on the ministry in the Middle East, and there's much to be encouraged about. So we want to thank God for those who are lifting up God's banner locally and elsewhere. But I want to encourage you to look for the opportunities God is giving you to lift up the banner of Jesus Christ. 
Let me tell you about one we just had. It was so uh, uh, surprising and, and sweet. Leslie and I are in this new stage of life. Our kids have grown up and moved away. And so we, uh, at Thanksgiving, didn't have any family or, or kids uh, to, to, to join us. And so we just talked and prayed and have found God provided wonderfully. There were some folks from our community group, another brother from our church. And, and, we, and we began inviting people. And there were we ended up with a, a student from Bangladesh and a student from India and an Afghan couple that Leslie's gotten to know and reach out to. And there were three people from China. And we sat around the, the, the table and Phil led us talking about Psalm 100. And we had this amazing conversation with five Christians and a Hindu and six Muslims just talking about God. And we got to lift up the banner of Jesus to them in the midst of having a wonderful meal. And everybody uh, was appreciative and, and enjoying that. We didn't set out at the beginning of the year with that as in our master plan, but God provided that opportunity. I just want to encourage you, that same God has got opportunities planned for you this holiday season. Pray about those and look for those. And finally this, just very simply, let us trust in his promises. The book of Isaiah is a constant sort of two, two different stories picture of people either trusting God and taking him at his word or not. So here we find Isaiah the prophet trusting God and living by his word. And I want to urge you to do the same thing. Trust him as you walk through your week to be your great and righteous king. Ahaz, on the other hand, took matters into his own hands. And what was the outcome? How'd that work out for him? Not so well. Disaster for himself and all that he loved. So church... Let us trust God like simple children, childlike faith in his promises. And let me leave you with this one particular promise where I began in Hebrews 9 this morning. We live between two advents. Let us hold fast to the promise of that second advent. May this advent season stir your hearts to remember that Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What if noon today was the moment when the father tells the son, it's time. It's time. Go stake your claim to planet Earth. If that were 20 minutes from now, would he find you eagerly waiting for him. May that be the case. And if that's not the case, the Lord's Supper that we're about to enjoy is a wonderful opportunity to work with God and your heart, to get your heart back in that place. So we're going to respond to God's voice to us in Isaiah 11 by taking the Lord's Supper. This is a meal for those who are followers of Christ. And if you haven't become a disciple of Jesus yet, we are glad that you're here and you are welcome in this place and we encourage you to keep coming back. But we would ask that you not take this communion meal because it's an expression of fellowship with Jesus and his church. We want to encourage you to take this time to think about your life. Think about what you've been hearing about Jesus. Think about what you think the greatest problem in the world is and what the world needs most and what you need most. And maybe even reach out and pray and talk to Jesus. Now, this is a time of remembrance, remembering all that Christ has done for us. I just want to encourage you to take this time to meditate on these two advents. In a moment, I'll pray, 
And then I'll invite you to, to come on up. There are four stations up in the front, two on the sides down here, and then two more upstairs. You can take some time before you come up and, and pray and meditate on uh, these things, or you can come on up and take the elements and go back and sit down and, 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 and ponder back there too. That's fine. You can take the elements whenever you're ready. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for the advent of King Jesus. Thank you that you promised it would happen through Isaiah and 700 years later you kept your promise. Thank you that you've promised he will be with us always to the end of the age and you will keep that promise too. And thank you that at the end of the age, at the right time, he will return to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let us be found in that way and that place at that time, we pray. Amen.